Thank you for listening to In Good Faith, the Central Reformed Church Sermon Podcast. This episode's sermon is titled, The Greatest Sermon Ever Preached, Salt and Light, and is based on Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. It was delivered on Sunday, January 22nd, 2023, by Pastor Steve Pierce. We are on page 786 in the Pew Bible, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. I invite you to turn there, or if you have the Bible on your cell phone, this is the only time you're allowed to use your cell phone during worship. Please turn there, Matthew 5, 13. Listen now for the word of God. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lamp stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. And when we read a passage like that, we thank God that there are other passages the Apostle Paul wrote to remind us that it is by grace through faith that we are saved in our Lord Jesus Christ, not by any work that we might do. But here we are in the midst of a sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount has been described by Phil Thrailkill as the Magna Carta of spiritual freedom, the constitution of the kingdom of God. Some of us know these words. Others of us, it's, 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 a, it's a new exercise. But Matthew chapters 5 Six and seven are the most read chapters in all of the Bible. And as I mentioned last Sunday, Psalm 23 is in fourth place to those three. Why are people drawn to the Sermon on the Mount? Year after year after year, people go to this well and they pull up the waters to drink. Why is that? I think it's because what's happening is Jesus carefully lays out what the kingdom of God looks like from the inside and what its intrinsic 
rewards are. The clearest reward is being able to live in this kingdom in the already not yet. But also in the kingdom we get to know God and we get to become partners with God in God's kingdom. Think of the Beatitudes and what we talked about last week. Where Jesus lifts up how disciples of God's kingdom will be known to this world. And if they want to be happy, happy are those who, blessed are, happy are those who, it's not from the things that they do, it's from who they are. It's an attitude. It's a mindset. Your happiness will not come because when we were kids, we always say, well, how many elderly ladies are you going to help cross the street? You know, the sign of good works was always to help an elderly lady cross the street. But it's not helping all of the elderly ladies cross the street. It's here. It's here. Disciples see the sin and the harshness of the world and they mourn for it. So when I receive an alert at 6 o'clock this morning on my phone as I'm walking through today's message that 10 people lost their lives in Monterey Park just outside of L.A., I get weepy. These are kids. These are real people with real names. They have families. They have moms and dads, aunts and uncles. They have sons and daughters. They're gone because someone with a gun decided this would be a good idea today. I'm just going to start randomly shooting. Disciples see the sin and the harshness of the world and they mourn for it. They seek change within themselves and they desire to make the world a better and a brighter place to live. So the men of Central are meeting on Thursdays at noon. Tom Rowe is our facilitator and we are working through the Sermon on the Mount. We just started last Thursday, but we're reading a study guide by John Stott, uh, a British scholar, theologian. He recently passed away, but in one of his other books, he says this, if the Beatitudes describe the essential character of Jesus' disciples, the salt and light metaphors indicate their influence for good in the world. So Jesus revealed a Christian's influence by saying that they are the salt of the earth, they are the light of the world, and that that light will shine before others, or as we talked about this in the children's moment earlier. Why salt? Um, you ever think about this? Why, why salt? In a society without refrigerators, salt was primarily used not as a way to sharpen flavors, but as a preservative. Roman soldiers were paid in salt. Gives us a whole new meaning to the expression, he's not worth his salt. Refrigeration isn't a thing until 110 years ago in this country. And even then, people were skeptical that putting a refrigerator in their home was a good idea. Jesus underscores the reality that salt has the power to make a difference. And if his disciples are salt, then they hinder the world's corruption and decay. They season the world with joy and optimism, with celebration and hope. And they're willing to do what's right, even if that means taking an enormous risk. 
Some of you may know the story that the late theologian Theodoret tells about a monk who lived in a cloistered monastery during the 5th century. He felt God saying to him, you need to go to Rome. And so he packed up his knapsack and he put his sandals on and he made haste to Rome. And when he arrived in the city, people were thronging in the streets. He asked what was all the excitement and commotion about and he was told that the games are about to take place. The circus, the gladiators will fight to the death. And he thought to himself, four centuries after the life of Christ, and they're still killing each other for amusement? So he runs to the Colosseum, and he heard the gladiator saying, Hail to Caesar, we die for Caesar. And he said, this isn't right. What they're doing isn't right. So he hops over the wall, he runs out into the middle of the arena, and he stands between the two gladiators to try to stop them from fighting. The crowd becomes incensed and raged. What do they do but hurl stones at the peacemaker and kill him? And when the Christian emperor of Rome, Honorius, heard about this monk and his effort, he declared him a Christian martyr and put the end to the circus, to the games. Legend has it that the last game took place on January 1, 404 AD, which was the one the monk Telemachus took a risk to make a difference for Christ. You are salt of the earth. You, we are the salt. How is your life making a difference in the world? What risks are you willing to take? Maybe it's a difficult phone call you need to make later today. You, know, you need to pick that phone up and you need to make the call. You just need to do it, right? And you're going to do it and you're going to pray that the Holy Spirit works in your life to resolve that situation. You're going to pick up the phone. You're going to dial that number and you're going to end the nonsense once and for all with the peace of Christ in your heart. Or maybe it's just time you have to confront somebody. It, it's, it's long overdue. They've been driving you nuts. The gossip, the slander, the bickering, whatever it is, you know who it is and you need to confront them and you need to end it once and for all. What can we do to better other people's lives? When we hear of the mass shooting in L.A., the first thought I have is, okay, I don't live in L.A., and I'm glad this isn't happening to me and to my family, but there are hurting people in L.A. right now. What might I do to be salt here in Grand Rapids to better this little area of God's world right here? How might my life stave off more decay and corruption in our world? You are the salt of the earth. Jesus also says, you are the light of the world. Have you ever thought of yourself as a light to others? Light sharpens both sight and insight, doesn't it? Jesus is calling would-be followers of his kingdom to sharpen lives by living on the cutting edges 
the places where new tastes and new visions are embraced. To light up those dark corners. To not just banish darkness and illumine corners and crevices, but also to provide a new perspective for others. To put our experiences and our perceptions into new light. There was a man who wanted to determine which two of his children was more worthy of inheriting his company and his property. And so he gave each of them a coin. And he said, buy something with this coin that will fill the house. And so the son said, okay, I'm on it. And he tried to think of everything. He landed on buying a bale of hay or a load of straw. But when he returned home, he was barely able to cover even half of the floor in the house. The younger child, the daughter, chose a wiser course. She spent her coin on candles. And she placed the candles throughout the home and she lit those candles one by one and the house was filled with the light. The happy father said to his daughter, to you I give over my business. To you I give my land. You have shown true wisdom. But when you think about it, there's not enough darkness in the world. There's not enough darkness in the whole world to put out the light of even one small candle. No wonder the imagery of light is so important to our faith. Professor Leonard Sweet, Drew University, puts it this way. He says, to be a disciple of Jesus, of the kingdom of God, is to be a new light, a new perspective on all the world, to willingly change up the game plans, the paradigms that we are used to living every day. Where the blessed are the poor in spirit, the mournful, the meek, the peacemakers, the persecuted, the childlike, shifts our focus and redirects our light. The Beatitudes force us to stop looking at some big picture of marketable success, a collective to be conquered, and instead look at each person as singular and significant, an an individual to be embraced. A business executive left his office late one night and he was exhausted. Long day at the office. He's tired, he's hungry. He thought maybe he'd get some rest on the train ride home. Two stops into the journey, a father with two young children boards the train. They proceed, the children, to run up and down the aisle making a lot of noise and disturbing everyone's sleep was no longer an option. The businessman at first fumed silently in his seat. Then the anger was building and he became so irritated at this father for not controlling his children that he got out of his seat and accosted him. You know, you really should teach your children some better manners. Besides, it's it's not even a matter of behaving badly. It's not safe while the train is careening down the tracks to have them running up and down the aisle. The father took the criticism in stride and replied sheepishly, Hey, I'm sorry. Um, You know, you're right. I should 
I should be insisting that they behave better, especially in public. But you know what? We've come from the hospital where their mother has died suddenly tonight and the children are in a state of shock and I don't know how to react. They don't know how to react. So I'm just not on top of things like I should be and I'm sorry, but thank you for waking me up to my responsibility. And in a minute, in an instant, in a nanosecond, everything changed. From one moment of utterance, the businessman shifted from being angry to being sympathetic and compassionate and helpful. He made a paradigm shift in his perspective. He saw his immediate reality in a new light. Suddenly, that very weary commuter was seeing someone the way Jesus sees each and every one of us. Not just as a focused beam of momentary interaction, but as a whole person. The whole spectrum of good to bad that makes up all of our lives. Leonard Sweet says this about that very illustration. The light Jesus calls his disciple to shine out into the world is a light that equally illumines sin and suffering. It's a light that knows judgment yet offers love. It's a light that sees deserved condemnation yet extends the commitment of divine comfort. This is the kind of light Jesus expects all of us to shine into the world. The kind of light that sees other people as Jesus sees them. The kind of light that directs our thoughts and tasks, our compassion and love to individuals with real names, with real hearts, not institutions or instruments with numbers. Instead of spoiled kids running rampant through the commuter train, the weary traveler suddenly saw the truth a family in pain, a family suffering a huge loss, a family trying to cope. That change in perspective changed everything. People who are hungry need to be fed. Kids who have no place to sleep need a safe place to bed down. Seeing the reality of what individuals are dealing with in their lives helps us focus the light of our faith on their immediate needs, not on our own long-term goals. If we all knew what each other was going through, things would change dramatically. I can look at your faces, and I know what some of you are going through. I know what you've told me. But I don't know everything about your hardships and your struggles. But they're real. And the moment we slow down to listen is the moment we're willing to open ourselves to the possibility of change, to new perspective. Jesus said we are the salt of the earth. We flavor the world with joy and with optimism. Are we willing to take risks to be a preservative. He said, we're the light. We don't see sinners just as sinners, but as fellow sufferers. We don't see others who have fallen short, but as people who need help being pulled up. 
we don't condemn anyone, especially those trapped in their own shortcomings. No, we offer the strength of God's love and power. To see others as Jesus sees us, we would quickly see everyone we meet as a beloved child of God. And from my perspective, that's being salt. That's being light. Let's do it. Pray with me. Almighty God, we do give you thanks for this word and for another reminder of who we are and whose we are. We are the salt. We are the light. And we are only these things because you make it so, not because of anything that we do. And so, God, grant that the words we've heard this day will be so grafted within our hearts that they may bring forth in us the fruits of your Spirit. For we offer this prayer to you through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all God's people say, Amen. New to Central? Since 1840, we have been connecting people to God and to one another through scripture, sacrament, song, and service. We are located on the corner of College Avenue and Fulton Street in the Heritage Hill neighborhood of Grand Rapids. We hope you'll give us the opportunity to meet you in person soon. To learn more about our mission, ministries, and the ways you can grow and serve, please visit our website at www.centralreformedchurch.org.